It's the Underpowered Hour on this week's show. Looks like Land Rover's making money again. Love it, can't drive it, the five-door Jimny, an all-new segment, Winch Wednesday, and a tip-top tooltip about bench vices. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Steve Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about our cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or follow us on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the 16-inch wheel to Stephen's 22-inch wheel. I'm the practical sidewall of podcasting. Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. Well, in the uh, news this week, uh, some news that you uh, brought in. I actually haven't uh, received this news as uh, Land Rover financial news makes me sad, so I avoid it. Uh, But this is actually, for the first time in like two years, non-sad Land Rover financial news. It's actually great. Yeah, it, it kind of is great. So apparently, uh, according to you, uh, the the last quarter, the last financial quarter uh, for Land Rover was uh, profitable. They actually yes. made money. Yes, that's true. They did make money. Apparently, uh, rising sales and uh, supply chain easing of supply chain oh, yeah. issues have uh, have created a, a situation where Land Rover is uh, Land Rover Jaguar is turning mm-hmm. a profit. I don't know how much yeah. of that is Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, turning a profit. So that's uh, good news for Tata Motors, who had uh, two years of uh, you know mm-hmm. tough two years with tough uh, two years. Yeah, yeah. semiconductor yeah. availability issues and uh, various things. How was the rest of their business? How was like the Mohindra and the Tuk Tuks and all the other stuff that they make? Like, were the Indian not quite cars? Were they selling well? I, I don't know the answer to that, to be yeah, honest with you. I know that they have some other electric car manufacturers, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they are uh, one of India's leading electric vehicle manufacturers, right. leading uh, vehicle producers in right. general. But yeah. I, I couldn't say. I don't know the answer to well, that. Well, and they're a giant industrial company. I mean, they make all kinds of crazy stuff. But, uh, well, that's interesting to know. Well, good thing. Uh, hopefully, they are not going to uh, to shut down Land Rover or sell it to uh, uh, you know, whomever, AT&T or something, you know, hopefully they, uh, <laughs> they just keep it, uh, keep it going, you know, keep gas in that Land Rover tank and, and it'll pay off eventually, Tata. Don't you worry. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. Don't you worry. Well, I'm interested to see what the uh, not being able to sell Jaguars for what sounds like two years once they uh, phase out this, uh, this last round of cars that they're on now. I, I believe they're taking something like a two-year gap to 2025 when the new electric models will come out. And even then, I think, I believe I read there's only two coming out. There'll be a sports car and an SUV, a sporty SUV, I'm sure. But uh, those two cars, and it won't be the I-Pace, the current electric car. It will be something completely new. And uh, that will happen in 2025. So what do we do between the end of this year when they're not making any more cars? And then I guess nothing. I guess we just wait for a year and a little bit. Just wait for the development uh, to happen, you know? So so good. Well, they're going to need a CEO before before they do that i imagine so that maybe news will hopefully come soon maybe two maybe two maybe two well again i feel like the combination of you and linus is really the ultimate the ultimate <laughs> plan there oh co-ceos of jaguar co-ceos of jaguar yeah i think you can yeah. do it i think you've got the right temperament you've got the uh, admiration for the brand i think it's 
Got the right attention span. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, exactly. Speaking of attention spans, uh, another uh, fantastic article. uh, And you're going to have to fill me in on this because somehow I missed it, even though I was there. Uh, Canadian Land Rover owners in Edmonton are having their Land Rovers stolen at a staggering rate. This is true. Yeah. Police have uh, been warning owners of newer Land Rovers 2017 to 2021. Your Land Rover is not safe. Apparently, there's a a theft uh, ring Mm -hmm. operating in Edmonton. A gone in 60 seconds style theft ring. They're targeting Land Rovers. Uh And, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they've got pretty sophisticated uh, anti-theft technology, new under keys and, and these sorts of things. But uh, they're, they're wondering if maybe it's a former, you know, uh, technician at the Land Rover dealer who's like, you know, making uh, false keys and Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. being able to start these, uh, these Land Rovers and stealing them. So Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. something like uh, 10 Land Rovers have been stolen in the Edmonton area. Uh, wow! All, all within a very short period of time. So wow. somebody is targeting those vehicles, which well, is kind of interesting. I'll tell you this: being from uh, Calgary, there is a natural rivalry. We hate Edmonton. We hate the people from Edmonton. So I would say they deserve it. Uh, you know, it's just maybe it they're not from Edmonton. Maybe oh, they're true. just visiting. They're just visiting. They're gonna. They're coming in. They're stealing all the Land Rovers, and then they're leaving. It's only a matter of time until the. Uh, the the Nicholas Cage Angelina Jolie Land Rover theft ring eventually shows up in your city, you know. Could be. Be aware. This could yeah, be, a, be a, a nationwide epidemic. What do you do? You know, it's funny. I I was listening to while I was in Canada a news report from someone who uh, was a, a security expert on new cars, and you know, okay. this reprogramming is a big problem, right? Where you do yeah. the the programming theft, and you, you essentially you make a copy of the key and you steal the car. Um, and, uh, they were saying, well, the best deterrent is things like, uh, use the club on your steering wheel, you know, like that's <laughs> the best thing you can do. It's come full circle, right? It's come full circle. You yeah. know, uh, and, and this is an unusual problem for probably that area. You know, those of our listeners who are in the UK are probably used to having their things stolen, their Land yeah. Rovers stolen on a that's regular right. basis. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Land Rover magazines in the UK, the amount of anti-theft equipment yeah. is is just incredible. There's like safes that you can bolt around your pedals yes. and like steering wheel covers that are made entirely of metal. Like steel, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like chains that you can chain your axles to posts that you set yeah. into the ground. Like it's insane. Like I the, like the one where you can take your steering wheel off like a Formula One car and yeah. like put a, a locked like sort of like hub thing over top yeah. of your steering it's well, wild. It's, yeah, it's great. It's wild. It's I'm not great. sure I could exist in that level of like theft. In fact, know? I, I want to say someone on either our Facebook group, and if you're not a member of the Facebook group, you really should be. It's just oh, absolutely. Wow, such good times. Um, they had said something about like the key for their pedal locking box broke off in the lock. And so they're like, oh, well, no. I guess we're taking the bus today because <laughs> I have to get that key, fish that key out of there. Yeah. Several so. years ago, I purchased a Land Rover out of a swamp. We called it mm-hmm. the swamp thing, covered mm-hmm. in reeds. It was an ex-military Series 2A. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy that lived in a bog, uh, part of a reclaimed area of a lake, he mm-hmm. had this Land Rover and he sold it to me for $500. This has been a while ago. Yeah. And it ran and it drove and it was from England. And uh, it was just this, like, really disgusting Land Rover with, like, 10 layers of paint covered in mud. Yes. And 
I got it and I realized that it had many, many alarm systems. We counted five different alarm systems with like <laughs> door triggers and like mm -hmm. all these things. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. The amount mm -hmm. of wiring was equal to or greater than the entire wiring harness of the vehicle <laughs> with just alarm systems and speakers and like triggers and all these things. It was it was pretty intense. A second wiring harness specifically for security. For alarm systems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a key fob. You could turn it on and off. Beep, boop. Your, like, muddy, gross work truck. Who would steal that? <laughs> no one here steal would steal that? that. I don't even take the keys with me when I park my cars around. So if anybody's in uh, the, uh, you know, uh, northern part of Los Angeles, uh, I'm not going to tell you what city I live in just in case. But the keys are just often in my cars because, you know what? I uh, encourage you to try to start some of them. You know, I think modern car thieves... But they are, they're not going to be able to get it started. Unless they're in England. They'll steal anything. Yeah. Oh, they'll crazy. steal anything. Yeah. Those are, again, it's a gone in 60 seconds like uh, situation it's, over there. If you read some of the UK motorcycle magazines, they do destructive testing on, mm. uh, mm -hmm. on anti theft devices. And the winning like anti theft device for a motorcycle was defeated in like three minutes or something. They really <laughs> like, they take like oxyacetylene torches oh, yeah. and plasma cutters and angle grinders and, all kinds of stuff. And I mm -hmm. guess they use the same tools that the thieves use. Mm -hmm. Here in the United States, a catalytic converter. Yeah. Uh, yep. Theft is a, a big deal, you know, because yep. of all the precious metals in the catalyst. That's right. And uh, Land Rovers have been the target of this. In fact, my own Defender 90 and uh, my Defender 110 both had the catalyst stolen out of it. Everything else that I've ever owned oh. doesn't, it's too old to have it. Doesn't a have that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very frustrating because you're like, oh, man, original catalysts you, are not available. You yep, have to buy right. aftermarket buy ones, and they're one, yep. super expensive, you know, several mm -hmm. thousand bucks. So mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. definitely a bummer when that gets stolen. Well, and it, en it ends up having to be welded into your exhaust system and everything. That's not a great, yeah, it's not a great thing. Now, I have seen in the same way that the UK has pedal boxes and steering wheel removal things, people building full jungle gyms around their catalytic converters these days to, uh, yeah. you know, to keep them from getting stolen, which is pretty yeah. fun. I saw, I saw one fellow who had, uh, in addition to like a, a plate steel and uh, angle iron like cage around his catalyst, he had written in weld, get a job <laughs> to to uh, potential thieves potential that might thieves, uh, yeah. crawl under his car with a sawzall. I like to think that people, you know, roll under the, uh, you know, roll under the uh, the stage one or the series three or something and just get covered in oil and are disappointed that there's so either they think somebody's already been there or yeah. it just doesn't. And then I guess it's true. SUVs, if you've got to roll under something and sawzall out a catalytic converter. And SUV is where you're going to go first because it's easy. You it got is. lots of room. You know? Yeah, plenty of room. So the yeah. Yeah. Land, land Rovers are definitely, uh, I think, a, a ripe target for catalyst thief. Yeah, for for thievery, for theft. For, for theft, for theft of things. Yeah. Uh, speaking speaking of theft, uh, something I am considering uh, stealing, as you know, I have a deep seated. It's fair to say passion uh, for the Jimny, the Suzuki Jimny. Oh, my favorite car. car in the world. My favorite car it. in the world. Well, very disappointing there's... that Suzuki left the U.S. market before that was introduced. Like just there's a, like just, a three or four year gap between Suzuki leaving and the Jimny being introduced. I know. I think they would have sold Jimny's here. I, I, I think lot. they're yeah, a ton. I'm surprised they don't make, uh, you know, some kind of an arrangement with another company to sell it under license or something here. You know, like that they wouldn't something. do that. I want one so bad. Well, anyways, they now have a five door version. Which I have to say, you know, eh, it's okay. I don't know. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. 
I, I mean, think if one I... of the things I like about the Jimny is it's compact and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's still a very narrow, small, lightweight vehicle, but it's just longer. It looks yeah. a little ungainly. Yeah, yeah it, it does look like the back doors were like an emergency afterthought. You know, mm-hmm. like it was uh, it was in, in case of emergency, use those back doors. But, you know? you know, I think one thing that it does say is that there's a market for a compact, simple, economical SUV that's capable yeah. and uh, yeah. solid axle and, you know, a, a little box on wheels. I think it's I think it's awesome. Yeah, I do, too. I agree. If I could have one and I've seen them, I see them on sale every once in a while. You go by a Craigslist or something and somebody's got a Jimny. And it's, you know, registered in Oaxaca or something. And they're just like, just buy it. It's fine. First of all, buying a car that's registered out of the country in the country is super illegal. Second of all, if you were to ever get into any kind of an accident or anything, you would be that would be not a great day for anybody involved. So unfortunately, I can't have a Jimny, at least not yet. You can have the most unsafe uh, lifted samurai with a shackle reversal, but... Mm -hmm. uh... Not a Jimmy. Not a Jimmy. No, 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 that's right. Essentially, you can have a, uh, you know, a golf cart with street tires on it, and uh, that's fine, but not a Jimmy. God forbid. Here in in Oregon, we have a a small company called Archimoto, which Mm -hmm. makes uh, a three-wheeled electric car that they call an FUV, which uh, I think is uh, not the best name. (laughs) It's the FU vehicle. It sure is the FU vehicle. They, yeah, they yeah. say it's the fun utility vehicle, oh, yeah, but it sure uh, is. Yeah, yeah, sure is. Yeah. Uh, at sure, any rate, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have somehow managed to convince the state of Oregon that it has a roll bar on it. Mm. And, and usually in the state of Oregon, at least, if it has three wheels, it's classified as a motorcycle instead right. of a car. That's right. Because it doesn't have to meet crash test standards. That's right. So they've managed to convince the state of Oregon that it, skirts the the some sort of gray area so it's safe enough that you don't have to take a motorcycle class or get a motorcycle endorsement or wear a helmet mm. uh but it's apparently it's exempt from crash testing so it's this it's just this crazy gray area take us to take take our word for it this thing's great you're gonna be fine don't worry yeah so every yeah. time i see one of those things scooting around and i'm like you can't drive a jimny because it's unsafe but you right. can drive this like three-wheeled go-kart on the street Untested without a helmet three-wheeled go-kart yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah. wild i know it's wild. Yeah, it's not fair it feels very targeted i feel like they've decided that i shouldn't have a jimny so so that's it you know like uh, they're not even gonna let them in the country yeah you can have an archimoto but you can't drive a uh a little key pickup you know yeah. from yeah. japan one of those little japanese mini oh, trucks yeah. those things so are amazing bad. i love them yeah i'm a big fan I'm a big fan. Uh, speaking of uh, big fans, speaking of my uh, ability to segue at a ninja level, I think is they're just seamless. Um, a new segment here on the show because uh, you know, of course, the show comes out every Monday. Uh, so, brand new segment we're calling Winch Wednesdays, uh, which is uh, where we will uh, talk about a uh, a different winch every Monday. Uh, I think it makes the name makes total sense. So this week uh, on Winch Wednesdays, uh, we'll talk about the uh, Land Rover Hydraulic Winch. Yeah. So the Land Rover Hydraulic Winch uh, was developed in the late 50s. And mm-hmm. I think I believe it came out in the early 60s. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure of the exact date, but it, it is the first winch that is a Land Rover branded winch. So not only was this a, a factory approved accessory. You know, when you look at one of these, it actually has the Land Rover logo cast mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. the winch body. So it's a really neat thing, you know, like 
I can't think of another manufacturer, another winch for another type of vehicle. Like there's not a Dodge Power Wagon winch. There's not a, right. you know, right. a Jeep winch or a Toyota yeah. winch. Actually, yeah, there might be a Toyota winch now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, there, there may be a, a Toyota winch. They may have done uh, PTO winch, but uh, at any rate, I digress. The Land Rover winch is pretty cool. It's mm-hmm. uh, typically fitted uh, with a PTO-driven hydraulic pump, right? And it is one of the more complicated pieces of optional equipment. If you look at the optional equipment manual, mm-hmm. it, it has a, a very big section devoted to the care, service, testing, maintenance of your Land Rover hydraulic winch, hydraulic and the fitting winch, instructions are like. Mm-hmm. 50 pages you know (laughs) it's got so many parts to it it's so complicated you know it has the pto of course yeah the pto shifter right it has a hydraulic tank that's mounted usually to the rear of the vehicle Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think like somewhere in the fender boxes or where where does that sit yeah underneath the rear fender usually Mm -hmm. on the left hand side Mm -hmm. of both uh 109 and 88 models Mm -hmm. and i think it's a four or five gallon hydraulic tank so bunch of oil you've got a bunch bunch of of hydraulic oil oil, Mm -hmm. which we'll come to we'll come back to that yeah in a minute (laughs) that's important Uh, because yeah exactly yeah so you've got the pto Mm -hmm. you've got the hydraulic tank you've got a spool valve you know Mm -hmm. the valve for the the winch itself yeah and then you also have the pump Mm -hmm. on the back of the transmission, Mm -hmm. right? And then Mm -hmm. you have the winch motor that bolts Mm -hmm. to the winch itself, the hydraulic Mm -hmm. winch motor. So, and then you have lines that go to all of these places, right? Right, So you've got lines going from the front of the back, the the car to the back of the car, and then to the pump and to the valve. And so there's a ton of hydraulic lines. There's clips to hold the hydraulic lines in place. There's a lot to it. You know, there's a lot of things. You got the PTO shifter through the seat box. Yep. You've got the, the valve that goes through the seat box. Yeah. So there's holes everywhere. Yes. And a lot of hardware. You know, if you put all of this in a pile, it's roughly the size of a 48 inch pallet. It probably weighs, oh, you know, I was going to say, it weighs hydraulic oil. Yeah. 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 It's probably like three or 400 pounds. It's yeah. a bunch of, yeah. bunch of stuff. And a big old spool of wire rope as well. Like it's the big drum is humongous. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. It holds a lot of cable. Yeah. So it's a complicated and it was a very expensive accessory. So you don't often see it. Right, um, but it found its way onto a few factory prepared expedition vehicles, mm-hmm. and, and it was mm-hmm. sort of a specialist piece of equipment. It it was uh, a common fitment for one ton Land oh, Rovers, yeah. okay, yeah. in the mm-hmm. late sixties, mm-hmm. like mid to late sixties. Mm-hmm. So uh, things like British Telecom, yeah. and you know where they're laying a lot of uh, cable and line mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. ground, mm-hmm. Uh, utility services. And they made a, a version for forward controls. So you sometimes right. see them on forward control yeah. trucks. So right. working vehicles, uh, municipal maintenance vehicles, these sorts of working roles. And so it's a cool thing to see today. And uh, it's a little unusual to see because it was an expensive accessory, but it's, re- it's right. super neat. So they made two different versions uh, in addition to the forward control one. They made a, the Mark I hydraulic and a Mark II hydraulic. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're typically distinguished they actually say right on it like land rover with the oval yep. and then yeah it says cast right into the side of the cast house. right yeah, in. very cool yeah there's two different types of fair leads there's mm-hmm. a roller fair lead and a house fair lead yeah. or a letterbox sometimes yeah. it's called in the uk a letterbox fair lead and the letterbox fair lead is super cool because you really see that big winch casting mm-hmm. and i i like the letterbox one even though the one that i have is yeah. a roller fair lead which mm-hmm. is it's it's like almost a foot square 
Yeah, it's, it's humongous. Yeah, it's just humongous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's massive. Yeah. And if yeah. you're used to like a worn fairly, they're yeah. like four and a half by ten. Yeah, they're I think. very so tiny. It's, yeah. yeah, it's easily twice the size of that thing. Yeah. But uh, we used one when you were here this past weekend. That's right. We yep. we pulled it out, and mm-hmm. uh, previous to that, we had taken a trip to the desert, and uh, we managed to wedge the car that has it into a ditch. Yes. And then when we went to use the winch, we realized that the leak that it had was a little more substantial and it leaked out <laughs> enough fluid that the winch was not functional. It so wouldn't work. Yeah. We were low on fluid yeah. and, and it was kind of an unfortunate timing. But <laughs> So check your hydraulic fluid if you have a Land Rover hydraulic winch. Is the filler on the inside of the car or is there a hole made on the outside of it? I know the answer because I know there's not a hole on the outside of, the, of that uh, car, but... Well, the answer is actually kind of both. So it yeah. has a drain and you can drain it from the outside Typically, mm-hmm. they have a rubber plug on the outside of the car. Mm-hmm. It has about a three-inch hole, mm-hmm. and you can access the drain. And I think there's a, a little screen in there as well. Yeah. And then uh, on a 109, which is my vehicle is, it, mm-hmm. uh, it has a filler inside the toolbox. So basically, right. the, the hydraulic tank fits where the left-hand toolbox is on a 109 regular. Yep. And uh, I guess it would be the same on a wagon because the gas filler is on the yep. right hand side. It's on the right hand side. So you can you can recognize these trucks because they have a three inch hole with a rubber plug on the side. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't see the winch, you can say, right. or maybe if it had a winch, you can mm-hmm. say, hey, oh, look, it had the hydraulic tank there. So you open up the toolbox and then there's a filler cap there, mm-hmm. which is uh, about the same size as the underseat filler for an auxiliary fuel tank. Mm hmm. And it takes a whole lot of hydraulic oil. Yeah, like a ton of hydraulic oil. <laughs> a whole lot of it. Yeah. yeah. But it can run like all day. It's yeah. really an amazing winch. And one thing that's really great about the hydraulic winch is, you know, because it's a valve, you can open it up a little bit. Yeah. And you can move the cable just ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's cool is you can run the PTO, you know, when you operate this winch, there's a lot of levers. Yes. And you, you've got to use... You got to use the transfer case lever. So mm-hmm. there's one. You, yeah. So you put the transfer case in neutral. Mm-hmm. And then the main gear shift lever, you can put it in first through fourth gear right. to drive the winch. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of pick the speed. I think that uh, the manual says, you know, operate it in second. But if you want to bump up the line speed, you can operate it in fourth yeah. gear. And that's the PTO. It drives the PTO at that mm-hmm. speed, one-to-one mm-hmm. ratio in fourth gear. And then you've got the the lever that's on the spool valve itself. Then you've got the lever that's on the winch, which is like the clutch, mm-hmm. the dog clutch on the yep. winch itself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the 42 you got the levers later. You've yeah. got the PTO levered. You have to engage the PTO. So yeah. you got five levers that you have to operate mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. engage the winch. Plus, you can use the clutch to right. yes. yeah, of course. operate of the, the PTO. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So five levers and a pedal to yes. operate a winch. It's very complicated. <laughs> it's very complicated. And there's only 16 hoses, a tank, and uh, 250 pounds of steel in that uh, operation. So yeah. I think for most people, it's it's a little excessive. But yeah. man, it is a cool looking cool. piece of equipment. Yeah. And to have the Land Rover stamp on there. I think they were actually built by Aero Parts, who is mm-hmm. kind of uh, yeah. famous for building the, the the first capstan winches. Yeah. And they built the rear PTOs and some other uh, like Land Rover optional mm-hmm. equipment. So that's cool. It's an Aero Parts product. I like that stuff. It's it's really a neat thing, but uh, the, the ability to control the line speed, you know, like if you have a worn 8274 winch, yep. it's a great winch, but it's yeah. got one speed, you yep. know, and, and I say that, you know, and I, I am taking into consideration that the speed changes with each 
mm-hmm. layer of cable, mm-hmm. you know, like because the diameter of the drum changes with each layer of cable. Yep. So it does vary, but the motor only really has one speed until right. you put a load on it and you can't really mm-hmm. control the amount of load that it has on it. So when you push the button, it's kind of going. It's going to be what it is. And even if you bridge it, it over to 24 volts, a lot of people will do that to do a really quick wire recovery, but you can't really winch like that. So then you're switching back to 12 volts to winch and then over to 20 volts to pull in. And yeah, it's good. And, I, and I, that winch happens to be the fastest of electric winches. The other winches take forever. Uh, you know, a non-top motor winch takes uh, forever in a day to, uh, to to pull in sometimes. Certainly the the super winch that they used on the Campbell Trophy uh, trucks is the slowest in the world, so much so that they would they put special cleats on the uh, on the brush bar to just wrap the cable uh, like it was a boat because trying to draw in that cable was just it was never worth it. It would take forever. And and you saw the you know when we were winching that log with the Landover hydraulic winch, you had a lot of control. You know yeah. you can go really slow, yep. but you can also spool the cable in really quickly. And yep. so I think that's the advantage of this. You know, there's a couple of advantages. One. It looks amazing. It looks super and, cool, yeah. And two, you know, you have a lot of fine control over the the line speed. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can, you know, if you've got a piece of metal that you want to bend or you're trying to move something very small amount, you have a lot of fine control over that, that winch line. So yeah, I think that's the big advantage to it. That in addition to the fact that the motor's never going to get too no, hot. You no. could winch all day, yeah. you know, yeah. unlike yeah. an electric winch, which is going to overheat. But the the downsides are super heavy, super complicated, super expensive. Yeah. And it is not the easiest thing to to operate, I suppose. You're a little low on fluid. You're going to get stuck in a crevasse. And it doesn't work when the engine's not running. So that's right. pros versus cons, those are the things. But if you've got to do a lot of winching, like if you're pulling miles of cable as a utility company, mm-hmm. maybe it's a good choice. Yeah, makes sense. Well... That's a pretty fantastic uh, Winch Wednesday uh, installation uh, there. And we'll put some of that footage from uh, this last weekend up on the uh, up on the old Internet so that folks can take a look at uh, one of those in action. I don't know that a lot of people have actually seen a modern video of a Land Rover hydraulic winch. Certainly there's there's great old Land Rover videos using the hydraulic winch and things. But uh, those are from the 19, you know, 60s. And, uh, you know, ours is is slightly better. Not not a lot. Let's be honest, just only slightly. But, you know, last up for today, it is a segment that everybody uh, loves. uh, And uh, it's one that I love because uh, I love tools so much that, uh, you know, Cooper won't go to college because I have nine different types of uh, crow's feet wrenches. So (laughs) just how it is. Uh, It's a tip top tool tip this week, uh, all about uh, bench vices, which uh, I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of vintage bench vices, which is like having a heroin habit. It's about the same amount of money that you uh, put into uh, stupid, shitty old things. But that's kind of what this show is about, you know? I think so it, tell it, me it about your, your favorite vintage vice. You know, I have a, a Wilton Mechanics vice from the late 1950s, which came to me as a pile of rusted, you know, like a, just like a boat anchor. You know, I think somebody had found it behind someone's house. And it had sat outside and uh, we took it all apart and we uh, we stripped it all down and we repainted it and we polished the jaws and we did machine new jaw inserts and things. But uh, now she's uh, as good as new and I actually use it frequently. I use it all the time. And uh, 
it is one of those things where, yes, you can buy a vice, an Irwin vice or something like that at, at uh, you know, one of the big box hardware stores for, uh, you know, for a for hundred bucks or, or whatever, but uh, not until you own, you know, I would say a classic vice like Anvil's, you know, we don't really need more vices in the world. We've already made all the vices we'll ever really need. You just have to go find an old one. Um, but even, a, you know, a, a good, I'm a big Wilton fan. Uh, good manufacturer American made, uh, you know, a vice like that. They have extraordinary clamping force, uh, not just for holding on to things, for setting bearings, for uh, pushing bearings out, all kinds of their incredibly, incredibly useful things. I have uh, a big new Wilton one on my welding table and I have, a, you know, my mechanics one and then a smaller mechanics one over on the over on the rebuild bench and uh, yeah, they're they're fantastic. What's your uh, what's your favorite uh, vice uh, manufacturer? Well, I would say that I don't just have one, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mm -hmm. I think a vice is one of those things where, you know, there are several different ones for mm -hmm. different jobs. And uh, I use a number of different vices at work to hold various things. And uh, they have various jobs. But in terms of vintage vices, I think I, I would say that the, the Wilton is kind of the, you know, has, has become known as the gold standard. Mm -hmm. Just because they're they're still in business, they've yeah. been in business forever. It's a wonderful vice. They made a ton of different variations mm -hmm. of that vice, and I have several different Wiltons. I have a Wilton Cadet, yeah, which is a their version of what they call a bullet vice. It has a yeah. rounded end yeah, on the it. Rounded end, yeah. It has a swivel base. They made them in both swivel and non swivel. Mm -hmm. I have a Wilton two inch bullet vice. Mm -hmm. which is a, a, a nice really cool, it's a tiny little guy. And they yep. had a ball and socket that mm -hmm. that mounted mm -hmm. to, so you mm -hmm. could uh, move things around. And that's really great. Like as a welding fixture, you yep. can kind of yep. clamp it in there and mm -hmm. then move it to get just the right angle to do some fine TIG welding or fine work. And then, of course, you've got all the way up to like a railroad vice, right. you know, like an eight inch, you know, yes. probably yep. weighs 600 pounds, you yep. know, huge, huge yep. piece of equipment. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some other really great brands of vice that were mm -hmm. American made. The uh, Parker vices are good. The Reed vices are good. I have a really excellent Reed vice that mm -hmm. uh, a late friend of mine, Carla Satra, who mm -hmm. was an excellent machinist, mm -hmm. took all apart, hand scraped mm -hmm. all of the ways, yep. made a new uh, bushing to take yep. up any slack and a new yep. screw. And uh, that's a really like a pleasure to use that Reed vice. Mm -hmm. And then I think for comedic value, the Sterrett Athole Vice, which is, he <laughs> yep. can't not laugh yep. when you yep. talk. You're like, I need, I need an Athole Vice. <laughs> like, and this it, vice is a total Athole. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. So the Athole, yeah. and it's a great yeah. vice too. It's a classic yeah. American vice made by the Sterrett mm -hmm. company who mm -hmm. made all the measuring tools. So yeah. that's, that's a quality piece of equipment if you have an Athole Vice. I also like the lever vices, and there's some mm -hmm. British brands of lever vices. They're kind of like a quick release vice, and yeah. they make them in various sizes. Uh, the Stevens lever vice is a, a classic, and I feel like you, as a Stevens, I really should, should own. You Stevens. should own a Stevens lever vice. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's and a, that's so that's like point. a quick release vice, like you would yeah. use in a drill press or something. Yeah. But they yeah. make them as a bench vice, mm -hmm. and it has a big chunky lever on the side, and mm -hmm. it's really quick to use there's a number of other vices for clamping uneven pieces of material like if you wanted to for example clamp a crescent wrench into a vice mm -hmm. you know there's vices that would accommodate that and yeah, those are right, really yeah. on the machinists spectrum yeah. Yeah. of the the vices but there's some really cool ones 
a modern made one is like uh, I think it's called a matrix pin vice. Yeah, pin vices. And yeah, yeah. That thing will hold a lot of unevenly shaped yeah, materials. Yeah, they're incredible. Yeah, they look they're like a fractal really cool. drawing, sort of that will like sort of mold itself around, but with like extraordinarily high clamping force, hundreds of pounds of clamping force um, around a you know a, a circular object or something. It's really cool. Those are really yeah. Neat. Some engravers use vices like yep. that to hold. Uh, Various pieces of, mm -hmm. of equipment and mm -hmm. uh, so they can rotate something and hold unevenly shape. Like, how do you clamp yep. a pocket watch for yeah. engraving, you know? Yeah, like, exactly, right? Yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah. So yeah. I love I love vices, you know. If you mm -hmm. find a Wilton bullet vice at a yard sale for 50 oh, bucks, man. you know, Get it. that's a good day. And the fact is, is that, you know, no matter how rusted or destroyed it looks, the fact is, is it's an incredibly simple machine. It's essentially a screw with a nut and... You know, the surface rust, all that sort of stuff cleans up very easily in in the very rare case you may have to machine, you know, or have the screw uh, machined if it's really bad or even replaced. Um, there are people who make replacement parts for these 1930s, 1920s vices. It's just one of those sort of hobby things where a lot of blacksmiths have them and things. So there are replacement parts and there's artisan or craftspeople that are making uh, you know, you can get an Acme screw, for instance, for almost any Wilton vice. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my 880 has a an Acme screw in it. So meaning there's no backlash in either direction. Um, why you would want that for, a, you know, for a vice, you know, it's so that you can get extraordinarily precise amounts of pressure on something. And sometimes it's not always about uh, pressing something in. It's about sort of pressing and pulling and, um, you know, all of that. And then, of course, there's I have uh, I have a couple of different Kurt vices for my milling machine, milling machine vices are a whole different, I mean, that's a completely different discipline of, uh, of vices, but those flat holding uh, meant to be extraordinarily rigid. And Kurt is sort of the, uh, you know, the, the gold standard, certainly for those things they are. In fact, they have gold handles. Um, they are, uh, they're crazy. The amount of force that one of those vices can put on something, uh, you know, you'll realize that the first time you accidentally uh, clamp a, an aluminum plate or something in there a little bit too tight and it just pringles it immediately. You, know, you have to be really, you have to be really careful about how much pressure you're putting on it. But yeah, they're incredible. If you like vices and you want to learn more about the different vintage vices and see, you know, different, how different ones work and stuff, there's a couple of good Instagram accounts. Um, Vice for Vices is uh, this fellow that, <laughs> Uh, is really super into those and i think there's another one that's like i want to say it's mex shop mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. it's a hispanic guy who has a, a really incredible collection of vices everything mm -hmm. from the tiniest little ones all yeah. the way up to the giant railroad vices mm -hmm. and uh, that guy's collection is insane and he has you know, all the vice displays. So from the tiniest little one to the biggest giantest one. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can kind of see how they all stack up and he's always restoring them. The other guy that does very good vice restorations, I think is Caveman Welder. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, he mm -hmm. does like just incredible vice restorations on vintage vices. And he, you know, does all of the machine work to make them fit perfectly together. Yeah. You know, he makes new jaws for them out of various mm -hmm. materials. So mm -hmm. depending on what you're holding, you know, he has various hardnesses of jaws mm -hmm. yep. for the different ones. And he really takes pride in, you know, the quality of his workmanship and, and, uh, you know, machining the ways just so, and mm -hmm. just, just making so them perfect, super yeah. nice. It's, it's pretty uh, awesome to watch. And vice jaw inserts is a great like hobby machinist sort of first project. Like it, they just need to be square and uh, you know uh, squared 
And, you know, they're just little rectangles with two holes in them traditionally. So it's a really good, like, first machinist project, you know? Like, you don't... It can be no complicated, though. It can you be, can make especially it complicated. cleaner as well. And like, oh, and, and making the, the parallel grooves in them mm-hmm. just so, you know, just making so, yeah. all of them just, you know, that diamond machining pattern. You know, a lot well, of the a lot of jaws a, are cast. Yeah, and my, you know, the the um, the bigger, certainly the Kurt vices, but uh, also the, um, you know, the bigger Wilton vices, they, they has uh, dovetailed uh, uh, inserts, so they aren't screwed in, they're dovetailed in, but the dovetail is a taper, so it goes in from one side and needs a couple little light taps, and then it's locked in, uh, and it can't move horizontally when it's under pressure, and those are, uh, those are a bit of a trick to machine, but... Uh, but yeah, I have a few different, I would like, I, one of these days I'm going to sit down and I'm actually going to make a few different hardnesses because I have a brass set that is pretty, uh, it's seen better days. It's, 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 it's done a lot of clamping. Done a lot so of clamping. I, I found that Instagram account that is the, um, that fellow that collects mm. and uh, displays vices. It's uh, Mexa Shop, M-E-X-A Shop 1. And uh, if you go through his account, there's the number, diversity, size, scale of his vice collection is just, it's on another level. That guy's he's, he's the Linus of vice collectors. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. really is. He does yeah. a really amazing job of, of displaying awesome. them on his Instagram. Check it out for sure. If you like vintage vices. Yeah. Highly and if you're, yeah, if you're spending time working on your vintage Land Rover, a vice is uh, like such an incredible tool that, uh, you know, if it's... Uh, from holding shit to pressing things in to pressing things out to, uh, you know, it's almost impossible to rebuild a swivel housing or something without a good vice because, uh, you know, you just have to hold on to those things in such weird angles to drive things in square and straight and all of that. And so really great yard sale find, too. They're very findable still. <laughs> they made so many of them, and everybody's grandpa had a really good one, and uh, now it is sitting out in someone's yard waiting for you to pay $2 for it because it weighs 900 pounds and nobody wants to drag it back into the house. So, uh, you know, get one and take it apart and, and restore it, and it's a fun project. They're super fun. That and old axes. I love old axes. So there you go. That'll be another discussion. That'll be another one. Well, that's uh, that's too much uh, vintage talk today uh, without Linus involved. Uh, he'll be upset if we uh, if we chat about old rusty things for too much longer uh, without uh, looping him in. So, uh, Ike, as always, it's been a uh, slice and uh, we've got some fun stuff coming up. Uh, as uh, we know, we have uh, great, uh, you know, uh, interaction going on on the uh, Facebook group. Dixon was nice enough to uh, to find uh, apparently an open line at the uh, Ottawa provincial prison that uh, he's currently in and uh, dropped us a line uh, making sure that we uh, know all the details about uh, the upcoming Anarch uh, Greek Peak uh, 75th anniversary. We're going to do our very best uh, to uh, get out there. Chatted with Bob Steele via email a little bit uh, the other day as well as Dixon and uh, man, we're going to try. I think, and we're going to put this out in the world, I think uh, you and Dixon uh, in a uh, very old series car uh, should do a, uh, a you know a uh, some some kind of challenges against John Kasich and I in a Freelander and see who uh, see who comes out on top. I think that's uh, that'd be the event of the year. I think it'd be great. I'm just throwing that out there. If uh, <laughs> if we want to make that happen, if there are people uh, with the means to make that happen. I'm just going to put it out into the world, see what the world returns back. So uh, at that, it's been a slice as always, and uh, yeah, good luck out there, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Looking forward to it. Take care.
The Underpowered Hour is produced by Liza Barris, Ike Goss, and me, Steve Barris. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook.